and laugh at me. So I'll try to stay awake for the sermon this morning. The Feast of Tabernacles, from as I look at it, is all about family. You know, we are here as a family, learning to do what God wants. And so I thought about it last night, and I'm, we've learned that God has created a family. He set apart a way of life that He wants, and He's called you to be a part of that family. And then I looked at it as I was going through this, and I thought, how is that possible? How is it possible to be a part of the family of God when we as people, as long as we are in this body, this physical body, can never please God? That's quoted from Romans 8, 8, as Paul spoke to us. We are humans. We make mistakes every day of our life. Sometimes we get up in the morning and, or we lay there in the morning and think, boy, this is a beautiful day. And then we get out of bed. <laughs> Struggle. In Romans 3.23, it tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So how is it possible if we are all sinners and we can't do things right, we don't come in, in contact with God that way? Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth. You mean I can look all over this whole earth and I can't find anybody that's just and righteous? But that's what God says in, through uh, Solomon that does good and sins not, according to Solomon. In Galatians 3.20, we're told, but the Scripture has concluded all are under sin. Everybody has sin. So why is it, if we all have sin, that we find not to take time to look to our own sins? You know, I was thinking here the other day, I've got a list log in my head and I can't see around it. So how can I find problem with another person? Because I am a sinner. And since the passing of my wife, I've spent many days crying over my mistakes. So the scriptures in Galatians 3.22 said the Scripture concludes, we're all under sin, that the, that the promise of faith of Emmanuel Christ might be given to them that believe. So God allows us to be concluded under sin for a purpose that we can honor God because our opportunity comes because God allowed the Word who did the creation. We can go to John chapter 1 and you read that. It got the Word who was God was willing to sacrifice everything for you and for me and for the world. Now down in 1 John 1, chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, if we say that we have no sin. So if we come to a point in our life to say, I don't sin. You know, I get out of bed and I do everything right. John was inspired to write, 
you deceive yourself. And the truth's not in you. If we think that we are better than anybody else, he's saying the truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, not to a man. You see. Because nobody can forgive another person's sins. I mean, they can, if you sin against me, yes, I can go and say, I'm, I forgive you because it was a sin against me. But to be a human being and sin against who? Like David said in, in Psalm 51, he said, My sins, all that he did, and he went through a whole raft of sins at that time when he... Uh, killed Uriah and took his wife and all that. He said, My sin is against you, Father, and you only. So, in the morning when I get up, I say, I can confess my sins to the Father. I'm not going to confess it to another man because he can't forgive me. And he is faithful. Who? Emmanuel. And God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Makes that promise. He will forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our, our sins are forgiven only because Christ sacrificed His life for us. And the Father did the sacrificing. You have to understand, Christ was the sacrifice, but the Father sacrificed Christ for all humanity. If we say then, in verse 10, that we have not sinned, we make the Father and Christ a liar. And His Word is not in us. So we cannot say, hey, I'm a perfect person. I don't make any mistakes. But there's a, there's a gift that comes along with that. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 but, on the other hand, the gift of God is life through Emmanuel the Christ. So we are here to learn how to become a family. Can we please God? Not of ourselves. We cannot please God. But the Father wants us to be a family, and so He has set a plan in motion to create a family. He started with angels, created billions of them, I guess. We don't really know exactly how many angels were created. We know that there were three who were created as, uh, as a leadership, Hillel, Gabriel, and Michael. One of those, Hillel, decided somewhere down the line, I and better than God. Do, do we do that at times? Do we consider that we are better than God? Well, we know what happened. Rebellion happened. And one-third of those angelic hosts that God created as a family, those were His family, rebelled against Him. One-third of them. Satan, who, Hillel, who had his name changed to Satan, or the deceiver, the enemy of God, failed. So God expanded his plan. He created physical flesh and blood human beings who would die. 
angels have been given eternal life. Sad to say that they're going to be in a sad condition. But he made humans in a flesh that they could die and not have to suffer forever and ever in the blackness of nothing. So God then said, I made a plan. But you know, God was aware of human beings. He knew what could happen. Daryl went through that there in Zion, the mind of man. So what did God do? He had a plan from the very beginning, and that plan required that God would have to be sacrificed for every human being in order for them to be a part of the God family. He started with Passover and unleavened bread. Because we who are sinners, we read the scriptures, we all sin come short of the glory of God. So somehow, God had to make a way that would allow us then to approach Him. And He set up the Passover, which was the sacrifice that God made that men, humans, would be able to be a part of the God family. He gave us the days of unleavened bread that we could look at our own problems and see who we are. Then he gave Pentecost, who points to the first fruit, the first harvest of humans into the God family. And they will be then the bride of Christ. And so we'll have the Father, Christ, the husband, and the first fruits as the bride. God has a plan for a family. He wants that family. Then he gives the trumpets, which allows Christ to come back and start that process of building that family and taking those that have followed him, that have dedicated their lives and have said, hey, I'm a sinner. I, I can't find a problem with somebody else because it's me. And he's going to take those that have repented and changed and give them the opportunity to go to the throne of God. And he gives us atonement in which man at one with God. Who becomes at one with God? Not everybody at the first. Only those that are the bride of Christ will become at one. So marriage is carried all the way from the very beginning through the end. The marriage. And when we become at one with God. Then we have the Feast of Tabernacles. The time of that period of time when the family begins to grow and there are children born into the family of God. And then the last great day, which today represents that time when all humanity who has never had the opportunity to know God, who has never understood what God wanted, to be given the opportunity to be children. And you know, they're going to go through the same thing that you go through today. This book. This book is the book that tells you how to live. They have to go through it too. They have to learn what's in here. And what's fantastic is, by this time, there will be many, many children plus the bride 
that's able to help and coach these people into being able to make that change in life. So this day, the feast days, all build toward a functional family. And this is going to be part two of that sermon that I started, a functional family, because there's a lot of dysfunctional families. But God wants a functional family. And the first sermon I went through and talked about respect. You know, it was, it's important that to start a family and to have a family, even in a physical realm, you have to have respect. Father for mother, father for children, mother for father, mother for children, children for the parents. But that goes on. That's for us today too. We have to respect one another. We first have to start respecting God, His position, His authority, His love, His compassion, His mercy. And sometimes we fall short on that, don't we? Sometimes we don't like what God is doing. Uh, Daryl's covered that through this feast series. People have rebelled against God. Israel, when they came out of Egypt, God said, I'm going to build my family. And He took the whole nation of Israel out. First thing they did was rebel. He told them, if you go up there and He showed them everything, I'm going to give it to you. And what did they do? Oh, we don't trust you, God. It's been mankind's problem that they don't respect God, the authority and the power and the things that He gives to each one of us. And so man rebelled against that. But respect is only one part of, of a functional God family. Respecting your brothers and your sisters in, in the family. On a physical family, brothers that don't respect brothers fall short. Fathers that disrespect their children have a difficulty in the family. Children that do not respect their parents. You know, what did God say? The first commandment with promise. Honor your father and mothers that your days will be long upon the land that God gives to you. Respect your parents. And that's only a teaching tool, really. It's only teaching us that we have to start respecting God. So as a physical human being, when we can't see angels, we don't see God physically standing in front of us. God gives us a family relationship that we can learn to respect each other, respect our parents, and then we can in turn carry that through to respecting God. So respect is only the first step there's something more. And that is love. It's love. You cannot respect someone you do not love. You can't respect them. You can't follow them. You cannot respect God if you don't love Him. I feel that we need to know who we, who we are. Who I have to say it's I have to learn who I am. You have to learn who you are. 
You have to learn your position that God has given to you. And so we're able to do that because He sent those to teach us, to lead us, to show us the right way. And sometimes we rebel, don't we? We don't really want to do what God wants us to do. So I'm going to start with trying to find out who I am, and you then can think about who you are and what your responsibility is in obtaining love. Love for God, love for each other, love for what God is doing. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in a step to try to determine uh, how to have love, but we have to first start to find out who we are so that we can then respect ourselves and love ourselves. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Here Paul is saying, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So God made this thing and we'll send preachers out there. Well, to most people, I mean, you can go into society today, they think it's foolishness to have somebody preach a sermon to you and tell you these things. And preaching that Emmanuel died for you is foolishness to some. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So those that God opens his mind to can grasp and understand this is God's power because this is what God wants. For it is, for it is written, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Can we understand that no matter how smart, how intelligent somebody is, God is going to destroy it. Because he's so far ahead of mankind. We dream up movies of tra- uh, traveling through space, going at five or ten times the speed of light. Of course, there's this factor in there that they say once you hit the speed of light, uh, you come apart. They don't, we don't know. Because we have not been able to achieve that in speed-wise. What a... 34,000 or maybe a little bit more than that per hour. Not 186,000 miles a second. So we're so far away from that. But God has said He's going to destroy, destroy the wisdom of mankind. So we have all this thoughts and stuff that God's going to destroy that. And will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So God's got this program going no matter how good we think we are. And in the church, we've got to come to that point to realize who are we. How come we are here? How come we keep the Feast of Tabernacles? How come we keep the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, and Pentecost, and Trumpets, and Atonement, and, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day? Are we that great? Oh, I know in the Church of God, we've come to that point at times to think, We are really it. But is that the case? Why does God want to destroy all these? Get rid of the prudent and destroy wisdom. So that mankind 
in the future, will come to the point to say, now I see that God is God. Today, they do not do that. But it's going to come to that point when this society, when mankind goes to fight against God and finds out that he doesn't have the capabilities. And they will finally come and say, now I see God is God. Verse 20. Where is the wise? There's a question God asks. When He begins to take over and rule this world, He's going to ask, where are the wise? Where are the scribes? Where is the disputer of the world? Those people that go out there and dispute everything. They've got questions and they, they have all the answers that they don't have. Has God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yes, He will. Because we don't know what God has. Mankind doesn't understand what God has. We've been tuned to Satan too long. The enemy of God and the enemy of us. For after that the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So, there's going to come a time that man will become God. And how is that going to happen? Because he takes individuals and teaches you how to love God, how to respect God how to do it God's way. He goes on in 22, for the Jew requires a sign. Do we require a sign to say, well, I can keep going. Uh, only if I only could see a miracle happen. I mean, this is what the Jews do. Does the church do this? I'm afraid that I've seen that happen in the church of God today. We've asked for wisdom. We've asked for miracles. And we don't see it. So then, we don't believe God. The Greeks seek wisdom. They strive and, you know, society strives. We've got all these uh, colleges and places that we can learn and get all these books that tell us all these things. And it's only what God allows us to have. But... Christ said, or Paul said, and this is directly from Christ, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach that Christ, Emmanuel, the Word of God, gave up everything to give us the opportunity to have eternal life. So we preach Christ died for our sins, Unto the Jew, it becomes a stumbling block. And I have a daughter who is in the Jewish religion, and I can understand there is a stumbling block there. They don't grasp that somebody had to give up everything, and it had to be not only somebody, it had to be God had to be able to willing to give up everything because it is the only sacrifice that will give you the opportunity to be a God. So we preach Christ died, gave up everything, died that we too then could be a part of God's family, 
the Jews a stumbling block? The Greeks' foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, so no matter what your background is, if God opens your mind, Christ is the power of God. It is God's power and the wisdom of God. So the sacrifice, the knowledge, the wisdom, all that is of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So we can put all of our understanding together and we can't even scratch the surface of God's wisdom. Because we can't tell you how it is that this planet came into existence. We can't tell you how it is that this planet is so beautiful and so balanced that it keeps life on here. We can try, but we can't tell you how that happened. So the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is so much far ahead of God, of mankind. We're only scratching the surface of what man can do. So then he asked, Paul asked the question, or God asked the question of each one of us, do you see your calling? He's asking us a question. Do you see, have you taken the time to say, why am I here? You know, Mr. Armstrong used to say it all the time at the feast. Why are you here? And we'd all say, ah, because we're here to be a part of the church. And Paul said, take the time and analyze why you are here. Because there is an important thing. You are here to be a part of the family of God. How, uh, not, uh, how that not many, he goes on, there's not many wise men after the flesh and not many mighty or noble people that are called. Look in the, look in the church. Do you see the greats of this world in the church? No. Because if we are great and think we are something, we wouldn't follow God. So, who are we? The weak and the base. We're just people. We're people that God said, I think if I call this person and they can come to understand they are nothing, they will follow me. Romans 12, verse 1. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians. Romans 12, 1. Paul aspired to say, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. So Paul was inspiring the people to understand what you have to do is to become holy. You've got to become a sacrifice. Just like Christ became a sacrifice, you have to be willing to give up everything and present yourself holy and acceptable to God. And that's your responsibility. It's your calling. It's what you are asked to do. And don't be conformed to this world. The world, if you take the time to look at it, is going down the hill. But God doesn't want you to be conformed to this world. 
but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we have preaching that teaches us how to renew our mind. That you may prove what? We're to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. It is our requirement to prove what God has given to us in this book. And you know, through this feast, have we not learned that there is so much here that we didn't know? So much excitement for the future? Are we proving that what's being taught to us is the perfect will of God? Philippians 2, verse 13 through 15. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which works in you. It is God that does the work. You know, we might think, well, I put a lot of effort into this. No. You're here because God said, I think I can use you. And it is God that works in you. If you allow God to work in you, If you decide somewhere down the line, I'm better, then what are you doing? Same thing Satan did. Hillel did. I'm better than God. So it is God which works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So what happens is God is trying to do something with you that is His good pleasure. So we think, well, I'm good. I do all these things. I am trying to do it for God. No. It's God doing it in you for God's pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. So if we're going to let God direct us, we've got to stop murmuring because I don't like what's happening I don't like this person. I don't like my neighbors. I don't like, I don't like the county. I don't like the state. I don't like what I eat. You know, we, we find everything to find fault with. We murmur about everything. Uh, you know, my brother's got long hair, and I don't like that. Or my sister is something, she, oh, she just cannot cook. So we murmur about everything. And we dispute. We, we argue about it. We find fault with it. That you may be blameless. So if we're not murmuring and we're not disputing, then you may work toward being blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation... Is that not right here in this country? Is not our nation perverse and crooked and out to destroy everybody? Among whom you shine as a light. If we're allowing God to lead us and direct us, what is it? I can remember years ago giving a sermonette and having them turn the lights off and striking a match in the dark room. You know, no matter where you were in that room, you could see that match. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to be a bright, shining light. But it takes your forgiveness of 
of each other and your willingness to say, Yes, Lord. Remember what Christ said. How often did He say, I of myself can do nothing. We think we can of ourselves do everything. Christ said, I do nothing. What the Father says, I do. We say, I've read that, so I've got this knowledge. No. It's what God says we do. It's what God directs. Christ said, I do. Of myself, I am nothing. We're to follow Christ. If Christ, who was God, who created this planet, who made it so beautiful, can say, of myself, I can do nothing. Why is it that we say, I'm great. I can do all these things. Among whom you shine as a light to the world. If we are obeying God and walking it, we will be a light to all around us. God wants us to be children. God wants to be our Father. We have to come to the point as a child is being reared by his mother and father, listens to what they say. Because here a little child has no background. Even though today we see in society, kids go in there and it's, you do this and you do that, because I know more than you do, Dad. How many of them know more than their dad? How many know more than their mother? They're all learning. But society has gone to that point that we don't trust God. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. That's really love. As a father in a, and mother in a family, in a functional family, you look down with your love to your children and you bestow that kind of love on your children. You give, you help, you direct them, and you correct them when they're wrong. For, for what purpose? Because they offend you? No. Because you want them to be a good person in the society of humanity. And you want them to become part of the family of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Do we really understand what we are to be? We're called sons of God. We even sing that in one of our, in our hymns. Sons of God, you are called. Not because of greatness, but because of God. So we don't know what we're going to be like. I would like to see an angel. I would like to see that spirit of of God, you know, and say, wow, because, you know, it would be fantastic. Well, we don't know. We're called sons and daughters of God, but we don't know what it will be like. But we know that. This we know. This we can finally come to understand that when Emmanuel shall appear, we shall be like him 
because for we shall see him as he is. We will be able to see God then. We will be able to see the Father. We will be able to see angelic host. Today we don't. Today we can't. How many men have... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph... Had God appeared to them and they fall down and said, I am a dead man, as Isaiah and Ezekiel would have said. I have seen God and I'm still alive. And every man that has this hope in him has a problem. He has to purify himself even as God and Christ are pure. We have a job to do. We have a responsibility. We need to take and live by, as Christ said in Matthew chapter 4, approached by Satan the devil. And the first thing he said, Satan said, you're about to die because you've been fasting for 40 days. No water, no food. You're at death's door. Make food. Christ said, no. Real life is to live by every word of God. And so that's what we learn here. For every man that has this hope of being a part of and being able to see God and be there as God will work at making himself pure, as pure as he can, because he lives by every word of God. Second Corinthians six sixteen. Second Corinthians six sixteen. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What is the agreement that you who are called by God to be a part of God's way of life, what agreement have you with idols? But yet we all have our idols. We all have something out here that we put ahead of God. Is it our car or our our husband or wife or children? Is it our job? Is it something that we can say, I am super good at it, and that becomes the whole dominant part of our life? What agreement does God's Spirit, your physical body houses not only the human spirit, which makes you different than an animal, but it also has God's Spirit in it. So how is it that you who say, I have God's Spirit dwelling in me, can have an idol? But we do. Because we're human. Because we, we, we just have things that we like to do. And sometimes we like to do them more than we like to do God's way. For you are the temple of the living God. Direct statement. God inspired Paul to write to say, you have the temple. You as a human being, your body is God's temple. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's an important factor of our life. If we're going to do it, if we're going to be a functional God family, if we're going to be a family that loves each other, that respects each other, 
then we have to come to the grips of the fact that we allow God to live in us. And we can then say, as Christ did, I can't do this on my own. God has to help me. God has to direct me. I have to see what God says, and that is the way I will live. Wherefore, come out from among them. From who? From the world? That's why we moved here to Anatoth. Because, at least I came out here for that purpose. I remember hearing the sermons and I said in 2001 at the Feast of Tabernacles I dwelt back on that doing my last sermon of of the feast like this day and said you know what I got to leave the past I got to leave the world I got to come out here to where God has told me and so he says come out from among them the world the worldly ways the worldly attitudes I've got to come out from them and be separate. And yet, isn't it difficult to be separated from this world? It is difficult, said the Eternal. And touch no unclean thing. Um, Let's see. I get out of bed. What kind of things do I touch? Oh, sometimes we say unclean things. We talk mostly of the food we eat. But there's a lot more of unclean things than just the food. Food teaches us that there are right ways and wrong ways. Clean and unclean. Oh, you won't die if you ate shrimp and pig and all that kind of stuff. But you don't eat it because it teaches you how to be holy. So we're told to come out from the world, separate yourself from that, Come together as a family and learn how to be a spiritual, God-projected family. And he says, if you do that, I will receive you and will be a father to you. If we are willing to do that, God says, I will be your father. I want to be your father. I want to be the one that guides and steers you in the right direction. And so we can go to Romans 10 and find out how can that happen? Romans 10 tells you, well, you can't learn of God until you, first of all, take the time to study. And you can't study and understand until you have someone that God points as a leader, a teacher. So these are all important aspects of becoming a spiritual, God-directed family. And I will receive you, he said. I want to be your I want to be a father to you, and you shall become my sons and daughters, said the Almighty. If we are willing to make the change. If we're willing to get on our knees and in tears if it takes it. And I've had a lot of tears in the past month. When I look back at my mistakes, the things that I do and have done for the past 78 years, I can say, 
forgive me. I want to be a son, and I want you to be sons and daughters of God too. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that a calling that you really want to be a part of the God family? If that's the case, you have work to do. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. now. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. <laughs> Preaching the things that are to confound the wise. He doesn't want the wisdom of this world. He wants, he takes foolish things. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. So he chose you. Okay? He selected you because of not that you are the most powerful person in the world. Not that you are the smartest and the greatest person in the world. No. He chose you so that when the end comes, He can say, this is my family. You will come and worship at their feet. So we're not the greatest, but we're the weakest. We're not the smartest, but we're the foolish of the world. So that the end result will come that people will finally come up there and say, okay, God is God. Why didn't I see that before that? Because we think we're better than God. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God chose. Yes, the things which are not to bring to nothing the things of the world. To finally get to a point where mankind will say, hmm, okay, God is God. God is God. There's some things that we've got to do some changing on. That no flesh should glory in God's presence. That's the bottom line. God wants to say, you're human. You cannot glory in your physical state. You just can't do that. But of Him you are in, Emmanuel Christ, who is God, uh, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Christ is wisdom. Christ, Emmanuel, is righteousness, is sanctification, and redemption. It all comes through God's plan. He wants a family. And He's building that family. And it comes down to, to say, am I willing to make the change? Am I willing to say, I will follow God no matter where He leads? Uh, Israel didn't, did they? God said, I'll... You know, He had a pillar of fire that protected them from the rear and a pillar of clouds that showed them the right way to go. He set it up and said, I am going to lead you. Today, we have teaching, preaching to lead us in the path of righteousness. But like Israel, mankind and the church worldwide, scattered whatever group it is, wherever they are, we all come up with the idea, uh, well... We know more than God. 
Isn't that what happens? I mean, look at the different organizations out there. If you're not in my group, you're not a part of the church of God. God's not working with you. Well, where do we come up with that stuff? Have we taken God out of the picture? Do we not understand that God says, I will lead you. I will direct you. I chose you to be a part of what you're doing. That no flesh can glory in our presence. in God's presence. But we want a glory that we are better than you are. We can see all your faults. Of course, I forgot to tell you. Or we forget to tell ourselves. That log that takes up most of our brain is so massive, how can we see a mistake in another person? Because we don't read and trust God. That according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in who? If you want to glory, only glory in Emmanuel the Christ and God the Father. So all these things that happen to us is for the purpose of saying, yes, Father, I want to do it your way. I respect you. I love you. I will do it your way. In Romans 5, verse 8, But God commands His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, remember, we went through the Scriptures that said, all have sinned, all come short of the glory of God, there is no righteous man on this earth. Yet, Romans eight or 5, 8 says, But God commands His love toward us. God gives His love to us, in that while we are sinners, each one of us are sinners. Christ sacrificed, our Father sacrificed Christ for you. In Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be you therefore followers of God as dear children. Oh, so we're to follow God. We're to follow and see what He says as dear children. We are to be the family of God. We have to follow our Father. We have to say, Father, what is it you want me to do? How should I do it? And he's going to say, well, come together and I'll inspire somebody to show you where you're making mistakes. He will correct you. If you are not corrected, if you just can bump along through your life from day to day to day to day and do whatever you want and never be corrected, God probably isn't working with you. Because He says, I will correct every child I love. Oh, we don't. As children, now you know, I remember telling my kids, do you want to be spanked? Yeah, Dad, I want to be spanked. No. We never said that, did we? We never said, yeah. Get the belt out, Dad. Or get the stick, Mom. Or whatever. No, we just didn't want to do that. But once we are corrected in love, we're thankful. I can look back and say, I really have some very good children because I showed them the way to go. And I can look back and say, thank you, Dad, to my father for teaching me. 
As parents, we like to have our children say thank you. We love you. Oh, I don't want to be spanked, but hey, I know it was for the good. Be followers of God as dear children and walk in love. There's the problem. In order to respect our Father, respect each other, we have to walk in love. There's a lot of sermons on love. Love is so vast and so big. You can't cover it in 10 or 20 sermons or 30 or 40 because love goes from Genesis to Revelation. Love is forgiveness and kindness and and the desire to be a part of God's family. But we must walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Just the way Christ did. Again, it's Christ set the example. We respect God because He loved us first. We love God because we want to do it God's way. As Christ also loved us and has given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. God sacrificed Christ. Christ said, yes, I will do that. When Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain, Isaac was willing to be put on that altar, was willing to have his hands tied and laid on the wood. I say to Nelson, are you ready to lay on the, on the wood as a sacrifice? That's our opportunity to love our Father that much that we will do what He says to do. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. God wants us to to abound in love one toward another and toward all men. Not just the church, but have that kind of love that we are willing to give our life to be a part of the God family that those that are hate us or put us down, that we can make it possible that they can also be a part of the family. No, they won't be a part of the bride, but they will be a part of the family. They can be a child, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth generation. We don't know. It will be a time period, and there will be children, and they will be part of the God family. Unless you are so rebellious and so hard-headed that you just don't want to say, yes, Father. And that's when you get corrected to. So we, you know, we get rebellious and God will correct us in sermons or in a lot of different ways. Because God wants you to be a part of His family. So, respect... I got a lot more here, and I'm going to go past all of that, unless you get up and walk out, or I fall asleep. <laughs> In First John four verse eight, something to understand: respect comes with love.
respect for God. In John, 1 John 4, verse 8 says, He that loves not knows not God. So if we do not have the God-type love, we do not know God. If we find fault with each other, we don't know God. Because God says, I am love. God, His whole personality, His whole effort and everything is love. Psalms 136, all, every verse says God's mercy, God's love never ends. Do we end our love because somebody looked at us cross-eyed? Or somebody said something, and we don't know that to be the truth, but we get upset about it. Do we love each other enough to say, I forgive you? Of course, you know, Christ said, you need to, re- to forgive people 490 times every day. That's pretty tough. That's not ending. That's continuing forgiving and loving the other person. Verse 16 of 1 John 4, 8. For we know and believe the love that God has to us. God has love for us. He wants you to be in His family. You have to respect God. You have to respect what He's doing. You have to respect who He's set out to teach us. If we don't, then we're not going to learn. So we have to know and believe that God, that the love that God has toward us, God is love, and He that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in Him. It's a requirement. You respect each other. You respect your thoughts and your ambitions and your way of life. But you have to have love. You have to have so much love that you will overlook another person's mistakes. You will say, he's human too. She's human too. They walk the same path I walk. They stumble like I stumble. They get back up like I get back up. And they forgive me. Consequently, I have to forgive them because God forgives me. So we are called out. One who, one who will be in the God family. We are called out as one to be a part of the God family. The Feast of Tabernacles is all about family. The last great day is about family. About God expansion into the realm of who knows where. So we don't, you know, God's mind is so vast and so capable and He has so much power. Do we limit God? And put ourselves up first? If we're going to be in the God family, we have to first of all 
respect God. I mean, that has to, there is no way around it. If you cannot respect God and what He's doing, you're not going to be in the God family. So you have to respect Him and have an unending, no limitations on love. You cannot say, I will love to this point. You cannot say, my love is only for my biological family. Because it's more than that. It's loving every human being and being willing to forgive their faults. So we have to have an unending love for the Father. No, no, no limitations on the love for the Father. No limitations, no point, any place at all in the respect for Christ and what He's done for us. And no limitations on His or her brotherly or sister love in the God family. We should be standing up for our family in every aspect of our life. And when they make a mistake, James tells us, you see a brother make a mistake or sister make a mistake. If you really love them, you will go to them and try to help them overcome. We use Matthew 18 as a whipping tool, but Matthew 18 is, if you really love me, God says, then you'll take whatever problem comes up and help them see how to be a part of the God family. So we have have to come first of all to see who am I? Am I something great? No. Am I something super smart? No. Am I the bottom of the barrel? Probably. Probably the lowest part of the barrel. But we are called to be a part of the God family. You have an opportunity to be on the ground floor. You have the opportunity to be the, the wife of God and be God and have a family of billions and billions of people. What are you going to do?